0: Are you struggling to find your work-life balance? I've often said a good work-life balance is a good goal to go for as it seems like sensible advice. But that was until I spoke to best-selling author and entrepreneur, Richie Norton. Richie will give you a wake-up call in a number of ways when it comes to how you think about your life, the people around you, and how you manage your time. Hi, I'm Paul Shepard, and welcome to the Mindset Change podcast. Richie Norton is with me talking about his brand new book, Anti-Time Management, which is the perfect antidote to anyone who wants to claim back their life from the rat race and start to live life with values and purpose, creating your momentum forward. If you're new to the show, welcome. Please subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And welcome, Richie Norton.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, no, it's good because um, I think there's a bit of an epidemic at the minute of people trying to find ways to manage their time. You know, everyone's looking for various books and uh, solutions, hacks, all sorts of things. And you've written a book called Anti Time Management. So, is this another time management book or is there something that people are going to get from this which is going to be completely different
1: ironically anti-time management hit uh, number one on amazon in in this the the subject of area of, of time management so <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> i thought that was well, i congrats. thought that was kind of funny you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know it's not just like the opposite of time management it's 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 more than that. Of course, it's it's a values based approach to how you spend your time because, you know, the other day I was giving a speech somewhere and at the end someone said, "Well, what'd you learn? Like overall, of all the things you learned, like what'd you discover?" Because I studied hundreds of years of how, of history of how people spent their time, how it was quote unquote managed, and I ended up saying, you know, how you, what I learned is how you spend your time is how you show your love, and that statement can actually hurt a lot of people because it's, it's, uh, it says a lot because most of us have been taught to sacrifice what we love for success so that we can eventually one day have more time for what we love and who we love and, the, and those kinds of things. But in reality, when you sacrifice what you love for, for success, you end up getting neither. And so anti-time management is kind of a wake up call that this tool, which was actually designed um, by people over 100 years ago during the second industrial revolution, it was designed as an actual tool not to give anyone their time back, not to give anyone their freedom back. It's nothing of the sort. I don't know how this word got into the self-help you know, vernacular, this term, mm. time management, because it was designed specifically to control others. It was the next step, the next evolution or revolution, as you would, in controlling people. So it's not, do I control my time? It's who controls my time? Because time management was designed to measure every drop of blood, sweat, and tears of workers. And this is an interesting thing, because when you start thinking, wow, I spent all this time, quote, unquote, managing my time, and I ended up having less. (laughs) I I ended up filling up my calendar and actually getting nothing done. Or if you're a super productive person at work, all of a sudden you get everything done and they pile on more work on top of you because you were successful at getting things done quicker, but they don't increase your pay. They punish people for being good at how they spend their time. So you have to remember anti-time management is a way to stop managing time and start prioritizing attention.
0: I absolutely love that, very timely, because this week i've been mum sitting, and I've been trying to put bits of work in, and I actually, from listening to your book about you know time and meaning and people and what people mean to you, I put work aside for this week and have spent much more time it was a, It was with my mother, and it was a really nice reminder. Um, so what would people get from reading your book? You know, because I get there's lots of profound bits and pieces in there. But what would people, if someone picked up your book, what is it that they're hoping to get from this?
1: Well, they're not going to get what they expect. And that's mm. that's that's part of the magic of it. Uh, yeah. People who read anti-time management, I call them time tippers. Time tippers treat time the same way Marie Kondo would treat Clothes or closets, you know, that you actually find joy, you find magic, you find space. You create this experience in life where at one point under time management, they controlled you and under anti-time management, you get to control the things you want to do where under time management, they told you what to do, but under anti-time management, you decide what to do. Where under time management, every choice you made took up more time, more space, and filled your life with things you may not have wanted to do. Where under anti-time management, everything you, you do is done decidedly, on purpose, fit to purpose to create time, create space, and allow you to live in a way so that when hard things happen, when tragedies happen, when the unexpected happens, you're actually able to make better decisions because you're working from a totally different decision tree in your mind, as opposed to just what's next and being super reactive.
0: So what, I mean, and I get that, and I really get the feel of values and purpose from reading your book. When we we first met, a phrase you said, live on purpose has haunted me in a really positive Mm. way. It's just stuck. And it's something that I've been repeating to clients. What made you write this book with, with that in mind? No, that, that's a great question.
1: So I wrote another book before this one called The Power of Starting Something Stupid. And it did well. The idea was that stupid is the new smart, that you have these ideas that are pressing on your mind. And you because you don't do anything about them, that means you've labeled them yourself as stupid. Not that they're inherently a bad idea. But you you might tell yourself you need more time, you need more education, you need more experience, you need more money, All, all the things we tell ourselves, all the things we've been told to do for a long time. Ever since we were children, we were taught that when you set a priority or a goal, think about it, we were taught to put it last on a timeline. And this was a way to control us to say, keep doing this stuff and one day you'll get this thing. So we do that into our 20s, 30s, and 40s and 50s. What are we doing? You th- th- these steps are, are totally unnecessary.
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah.
1: when people would come to me, you know, and they'd start their quote unquote stupid idea. Yeah, you know, this book did good. Like Brene Brown blogged about it it's in like 10 different languages. And I, I became the quote unquote stupid guy. People would come to me to, for help to <laughs> start their ideas, you know? <laughs> yeah. And 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 it was interesting because when they would start their ideas they would they would get them they'd make it happen make money whatever but then i realized something really quick in our conversations most people i i could almost say all they didn't want their quote unquote stupid idea they didn't want their entrepreneurship thing they didn't want their job they didn't even want this new thing they thought they always wanted what they really wanted, what they never expressed, was what they thought would come from the success of that thing. Right. Uh, What's that? Two step, we two-step. We two-step, right? So <laughs> okay. it's different for everybody, but let's just say in, in general, in general, yep. an entrepreneur will start a business to get their time and life back, only to lose their time and life to the business. Why? Because they set up their business the same way they learned business from business school or the office. They did not set it up for freedom of time and freedom of enjoyment of life. They set it up to be busy. They intentionally went into the business saying, I'm going to hire people that don't know what they're doing so I can pay them nothing and I can train them. Messed up. They went in directly to this business saying, I will not be available actually, for two, three, four, five, maybe 10 years. Why would they do that? When in reality, they could have started the business with their values from the start, saying this business will be designed to give me freedom of time, freedom with my family, freedom to travel, whatever it is. It could be even to work more, but whatever their, their love was, whatever the thing was that they wanted, if they would have built it with that baked in from the start, they would have had it now and later because when you start doing things in one way a year from now you will have cemented systems that do not let you free or change even though we tell ourselves that it one day will we lie to ourselves Hmm. ironically though when you remove yourself from the quote-unquote system when you bake in these ideals from the start you take away that bottleneck And your business is actually able to grow in a different way because you're making different decisions from different constraints, from different ideals. And in that sense, you actually scale. And are even if if you're planning on selling your business, it's even more likely to be sold because you're not required to be there all the time. And it was only a matter of a decision. Now you have to remember, I'm not just saying these things to say them. I'm doing this based on History of what's worked, the new future because today is very different than even three years ago, Street, extremely different. I was when I started this book, I started writing it to the future. The future caught up; like we're here, it's happening. There, there is no waiting for anything anymore. But while I was like writing these, my last book, and also you know this book, some things happened. My brother-in-law passed away at 21 in his sleep, out of nowhere. I have a son that caught pertussis, whooping cough, that passed away. I had, uh, we had three foster kids that came and went and we had them for two years. Wonderful. We hoped to adopt them. It didn't work out. They went back into the, to the system. Well, they went back to their, their bio mom, which is like wonderful for her, but also a a very scary situation based on what was going on at the time. My my wife had a stroke and lost her memory. She got it back. I I have a son got hit by a car and I say these things real quick. Each one of those stories could have been an hour long story, right? It's one of those situations, but I'm just seeing them. Uh, together like that to prove a point the point is life doesn't stop when you're working man and we're not no one's working for work's sake we're working for something else so people that practice anti-time management work for something else they live that something else and they find ways to get paid that support it as opposed to the other way around which is very traditional and is the norm however that didn't used to be the norm the That was a thing that happened during the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And today, the fact that we can work anywhere, we can use our talents, that we can work with experts anywhere in the world, that we can do whatever. Even if you are the one that's being outsourced to, you're not just architecting some other future or some business, the opportunity has never been greater than ever to live the life you want and get paid in a way to support it. And I hope people do that so they can live a life without regret.
0: No, I 100% am with you on that. But yet there's resistance, isn't there? There seems to be but this totally. resistance from <laughs> – you know, and I see it because they're, they're trying to introduce a four-day week as a trial in certain parts in the uh, United Kingdom. And you can see elements of the press saying, no, the people are just, you know, they're just going to waste this time. They're going to be lazy. There's going to be all sorts of things. So there seems to be this resistance to trying and trying to keep the old status quo. Why do you think that is? What do you reckon's going on?
1: <laughs> the the media is going to say what the media is going to say, and they're, they're controlled by corporations. Let's, let's, not, let's mm-hmm. not lie to ourselves about that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the thing is, we have to go like, hi- history repeats itself. Like this is the same thing that Henry Ford dealt with when he tried to change it, change the number of hours, number of days that, that people worked. You know, we, and today what's interesting is people can work 24-7 if they want to because they're always connected. So the thing is, a cu- couple things. One, corporations are going to do what corporations are going to do. I don't care if they make, I mean, I do, I do care, but they could make it seven days a week, 24. You are on 100. They can do whatever they want. I get there's unions, there's law, there's all these things, but it's the corporation's job to make money, not to develop people. You have to remember that they were never, ever, ever set up to help people be people. They are set up to make money. So if they think they can make money a different way, they're going to do it. So whether it's a four day week, a three day week, a one day week, one thing's certain. It depends on the job and the situation. There's that. The second thing is work expands the amount of time given, Parkinson's law. And so what people are finding is actually even, even quote unquote smart corporations are finding someone who works four days a week just gets the same amount of work done in four days than they would have in five days because in five days they stretch it out on average. The same person that can get something done in eight hours in a day can usually get it done in one or two hours a day. So work expands the amount of time given. And even this, in our personal lives, no one's more productive than a procrastinator with an impending deadline. We get things done. So what you'll start seeing happening is corporations will stop delegating methods, the smart ones, and they'll start delegating results. Because The moment you stop delegating methods, it doesn't matter how long it is or how they do it. Within reason, right? They're going to do it the right way and all these kinds of things. What matters is the work gets done, whether it got done in one minute or 10 hours. What's the point? I mean, like in doctor's offices, I mean, aside from surgeries and things like that, but like, that's the way it's been. A doctor walks in, sees you for a minute, may or may not know what's wrong. They walk out, they get paid the big bill. Now, that, that's probably a bad example because a lot of doctors also get it wrong. So we got to be careful here yeah. with, with some of these, some of okay. these analogies. Um, but, but you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. So then someone says, well, what do I do? And what you do is you say, you are now blessed, my friend, <laughs> to decide where you work, when, and how. And they go, oh, but my, my company is changing. And, 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 and companies go, everyone's leaving. No one wants to be here anymore. Let's get everyone back to the office. You know, like, let's do all these things. Let's, let's try and decrease inflation by having everyone come back to the office or everyone's saying whatever they're going to say. Corporations are going to do what corporations are going to do. But you as an individual, you get to choose. That's why it's different today. Even 20 years ago, less, hmm. 10 years ago, people didn't have the freedom of choice. The switching costs were so high that they got stuck. I mean, Corporate benefits, let's be real, are not for the employees. They're to benefit the corporation. And the moment flexibility yeah. becomes a corporate benefit, it is no longer a perk of the job. It's just an, it's just a longer leash. So you got to be careful. So today, someone can decide: Am I going to stay in this job and get a two, three, four percent raise a year that doesn't, you know, keep up with inflation, or am I going to go somewhere where my talents are appreciated? and get 10 dollars $20,000, $30,000 bump instantly. This is, these are, this is the math, at least in the States. And this is, this wow. is the opportunity yeah. for corporations. Corporations can start hiring on the talent that's willing to work. They'll quiet quitting. Yeah, they're getting the job done. They're just not going overboard. Delegate results, and you'll start finding people that will make magic. And this is the opportunity of every employee and employer right now.
0: Yeah, I'm hearing a lot about quiet quitting. And it, it, again, people are really beginning to really to think about their work-life balance. And we keep hearing the term work-life balance, but you have a different take on it in your book. because it's, it's something that people are often, you know, I've said it, I've said to people, we should aim for a work-life balance. And you've got something else to say about that.
1: It's, a, it's an interesting term, work-life balance and you know i've spent the good part of 20 years wondering what that means and i asking very wealthy people if they thought they had it and they don't they never found their balance in their riches or their fame true and you'll you'll talk to a very wealthy person as i have who will say "Money's easy time is hard this is this is the way it is no, nothing's more important than your time you know, and your health and your relationships. Money is, a, is a, again, a tool to ha- accentuate those, those opportunities. Okay, anyways, if you look at physics and you, you say, what is balance? Balance means motionless. It doesn't move. Balance means, in that mm-hmm. sense, stuck, stale, stagnant. i've never seen it that way before Uh (laughs) uh-oh okay you know you, you know and so you no one actually wants balance no one wants to work eight hours sleep eight hours play eight hours i mean maybe i mean that would be cool like whatever what they really want they want a voice in how they spend their time wherever and whenever if possible that's what they want so Work-life flexibility, rather, would look like imbalancing your life in the direction that you want it to go as opposed to trying to keep the status quo. And this is a very different and important distinction. Someone right now listening to this could ask themselves um, a few questions and figure out how much freedom and flexibility they have right now. You just ask yourself, in each project or situation or choice is different but you could ask yourself just think of one right now how autonomous am i to be able to make that decision because if you have to ask someone else for permission you don't have autonomy this isn't about good or bad Mm. it's just it is what it is how able am i to do it so if you if you if you did either if you either could do it on your own you had permission to do it could you do you have the money Do you have the time? Do you have the skill set? This is flexibility. And third, maybe most important, I think they're all important, but this one's a scary one to think about. Availability. Just because you're autonomous and just because you're able does not mean you're available. So the level of your autonomy, ability, and availability determines how flexible you are and how free you are to make choices.
0: Wow. And that, it, it, the book really does focus on that freedom, doesn't it? It comes up time and time again as a time tipper, which you, you mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, something else you mentioned that I do want to go back to is that, because again, it's something that keeps repeating in my mind is Gavin's law. And you mentioned mm. your 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 brother-in-law and your son. Um, can you just tell me what, uh, and tell the listeners what Gavin's law actually is? Cause I think it's such an important part of, you know, it could help create a little Thank mindset you. shift for, for people listening.
1: Thank you. I know. I appreciate that. When, when my brother-in-law passed away, he was living on and off with our family in Hawaii for about five years. And one day he just didn't wake up. He died in his sleep at 21. And when that happened, it totally shook us, you know, like you think that you're going to Grow old and do your thing and, you know, one day live your life. And he lived a great life, but it was just short. And it changed the way we thought about things. A a few years later, my fourth son, uh, who was named Gavin, after his brother, sorry, after my brother-in-law, his uncle, Mm. Gavin, and he brought so much joy in our lives, kind of filled the hole, you know, in our lives that he could, and he got this little cough and it persisted. And we took him to the doctors and they said, it'd be fine. We took him to the doctor several times. No one knew it was a problem. They didn't think anything was serious. And it, it, it continued. We took him to the emergency room one night and they admitted us and kept us there for quite some time. They finally, uh, looked for something called pertussis, also known as whooping cough. And it turns out that's what he had. And I remember when they you know, just too much on his little body. And they took out all those tubes and those wires. And I held him for a moment. I handed him to my wife. You know, I'm on my knees. She's sitting in a rocking chair. She's rocking him. I have my hand on his heart. And we're singing lullabies. We just wait for those last moments. And this is your worst nightmare as a parent. And I remember he, he slipped. You know, I went to the other side. And we left that hospital empty-handed. You know, and, and we had to explain to our other children what had happened. They were young and, you know, don't know what's going on and go through the whole process, the funeral, all these kind of things. And somebody asked me, what'd you learn from your brother-in-law passing away and from your son passing away? And I'm like, I, I don't know. What kind of question is that? Mm. And I, I came up with something, um, that I call Gavin's law, which is live to start, start to live because re- regardless of how short your time is or, or how much you have, like, regardless of how like, bad it is and things are happening all around you, there's often this little thought that comes in your head. And whether you do it or not is up to you. I call that that something stupid. But when you do something about it, because so many people are like the living dead just walking around. They don't know what they're doing and why they're here. Like I get it. Life's crazy. At the same time, there's that thought. And when you live to start those ideas, even if they don't work out, you feel alive. You really do start living. And start is also an acronym for serve, S-T-A-R-T, serve, think, ask, receive, and trust. When you serve others, thank others, ask, earn the right to ask, receive, like be open to receiving help, trust others. When you do that, these windows of opportunities just come out of nowhere, seemingly. But in reality, you've been open to these opportunities because you started live to start start to live.
0: I think that's incredibly powerful. Just the the meaning that you've got from that, and what you've turned that into—it's you've had you mentioned tragedy after tragedy and it's developed into a philosophy which is helping so many people but what do you think what does it what does it do for you on a day-to-day basis with with your life
1: it it changes the way i think about what and when so for example even when i was writing the book you know writing a book is kind of a horrible process (laughs) it's a lot of work it's a lot of thinking it's a lot of research you know it doesn't necessarily feel good Uh, and you'll get in the zone sometimes and I'd be in the zone and one of my my kids would come up and want to go do something you know I live in Hawaii they want to go surfing and they need to go to a friend's house or they want to hang out whatever it was and I told myself I wanted to live within integrity of what I was writing about you know what I mean while I'm while I'm writing it and I just set it aside and I'd go do that thing because that's what I'm working for anyways. And it c- kind of became, you no, know, I, 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 I've known this cause I've been doing this for quite some time, but it was an interesting experiment even looking backward. Like did the writing get worse? Of course not. Did I miss something? Of course not. It was the responsible thing to do. Mm. And that's what's interesting. You don't, necessarily if you're a responsible person stuff's not going to just like get ruined because you prioritize the most important things in your life first it gives you a little more space to reflect on it and come back that's what i found and that's what a lot of people are finding is that even when they do have less time to get it done let's just say like doing this thing takes up all your time you're at you're at the edge of a timeline most people find they actually get They, they, by doing that, they crowd out distractions and it forces them to bring that creativity into the moment. We do Mm -hmm. this on accident all the time, but it is a beautiful blessing when you realize that how you think, how you change, uh, how you're paid, how you operate, how you prioritize, literally putting your priorities first instead of last actually helps you be more productive. It's fascinating.
0: As I said, it's, I, I'm absolutely 100% behind that. But I, I get this, that people tend to resist it. They seem to be frightened of it. And what do you think, when you're working with people, because uh, you, you coach and uh, you've talked to a lot of people about this, what do you think the number one or the top things that people tend to struggle with when it comes to you know, following your idolization, you're your becoming a time tipper.
1: Well, one thing is, let's just keep it simple. Just say, mm. tr- try it. I mean, you have nothing to lose. I'm not I'm not necessarily asking you to change everything overnight. Mm. You could, but it's usually one thing at a time. Like, look, see if your whole world falls apart because you ended up taking your kid to the park or not. please.
0: <laughs> yes that's it a won't. great experiment isn't it so <laughs> so
1: you know some people experiment and they go dang this stuff works like i i was doing a, a book signing in barnes and noble here in the states uh last week and a guy comes up and he's like i can't even show you this this voicemail i can't ha- have you listen to it that my wife just sent me because it makes me cry and he was a client of mine and i've been working with him on these these ideas, these practices. And he says, over the last two years, like she sent me this voicemail, how like, can you imagine? We never would imagine that this would have happened, that this would have happened. They lived in Europe. They lived in the States. They did all these things. They traveled. He hung out with his family. They got paid more than they'd ever been paid in their entire lives. And she went on and on and on about what a good dad he was and that his kids were missing him while he was there visiting with me at this book signing. Oh. He's like, that wasn't the case that wasn't the case before <laughs> so i'd say wow. experiment you know a mama bear will sacrifice herself for her cubs no matter what the danger is when you believe in your the it's not just like your values like there's a reason mm-hmm. people have certain values and and i'm not trying to impress my values on anyone i'm just saying identify yours what's your Overarching goal. Let's move beyond goals, habits, and strengths, which are only tools to get us somewhere else. Now let's focus on the somewhere else because that changes the decision tree on what goals, habits, and strengths you're going to use, if any, to get there. And when you do that, when your reason for what you're doing is strong enough, it overcomes any fear that would come 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 into place, like a mom bear for her cubs. You just mm. do it. And that is the magic of having real purpose because instead of following the process to get a purpose, which is usually someone else's purpose, because someone else developed the process, by the way, Yeah. you allow process to follow purpose. It's the opposite. Most people follow the process. Nope follow the purpose that will create the purposeful process so a lot of ways to do it just pick one personal professional people in your life play make those things your north star and that will you ask yourself a better question because you have to remember goals from experience are tasks they're not goals you've done them just doing it again
0: Mm.
1: goals outside experience our growth which inherently means you don't know how to do it and that's okay <laughs> you build the castle then the moat these corporations for the last couple hundred years have all been castles that we've been workers working in the moat to support we get to flip that what's my castle what's my economic and strategic moat that's going to support it it is a totally different way of thinking
0: yeah people are daring to think differently, and your your book definitely adds to that um i when I'm working with clients, I often ask questions about what people's purpose are what their future looks like and it's amazing how many people have no idea they don't they can't even picture the future. it's almost like it doesn't exist so they lived they you think that they live quite presently, but they in a way they don't you know I love your um time acronym. By the way, today is everything. But for some people, they're not even quite there in today, and with no purpose in the future. You know, it's 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 quite it's quite a crazy it's it's, it's um, it, state of mind. Yeah.
1: I remember too, like after our, you know, after some of these different tragedies, and I and I, I talked to my wife, and we would talk about you know let's set goals or this or that, and it was like. I can't set another goal. I can't, it's like setting myself up for failure. We're terrified of, of setting up something for the future because of the, the feeling when it doesn't work out. That's what's really cool about anti-time management is we're not even, of course, we're talking about the future, but we're talking about rescuing that future goal from the end of a timeline and bringing it front and center. We're talking about stuff you can do right now someone says I, you know i want to spend two months out of the year in italy go you'll figure out how to get paid while you're there or around it or you'll figure something mm. out like the longer you wait to do it the less likely you are and the more likely you are to put barriers up you know well, i need money i need this and that well great mm. aren't we glad we're having this conversation finally yeah we are <laughs>
0: That that opens up a lot of things, isn't it? Uh, it it's true. That it, the, when you were talking about you know going to Italy, it, it reminded me. I think I read it in your book, um, uh, "The Something Stupid" book. Uh, which this is my doing something stupid. This is my my podcast was started as a dare, um, and now it's brought me to to talking to you. And, and that's a, um, it's a it's a strange world at times, and it's what I, um, the thing about, uh, doing something stupid is I think it talks about retirement, the retirement trap. Yeah. Where, yeah. It, yeah. where people think, Oh, do you know what? I'll so, just, I'll, I'll wait to retirement.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thought. And if you think about it, let me, let me tell you from, from my perspective, when I was in my, when I was 20, I lived in Brazil. And I saw I was in favelas, very very poor area, and I saw a lot of people that were trying to do their best to work their way out of poverty and feed their family. Most talented, wonderful, smart people in the world. There's just not the resources or the network. You know, it's, it's it's a real it's a real systemic thing. And I thought, how can I help people work their way out of poverty? And then my immediately my uh, mentality, which we actually have both in the states and in Europe was, oh, maybe when I'm, I'm, I'm like fat and happy and retired, (laughs) (laughs) generally 65, I'll be able to do something about this. And I thought, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let's, that would mean that if I wait that long, that means I can't help the people in that, in this way or, and, and who am I to assume I can help them, but at least the effort I'm trying to do, whatever that looks like, the people now, the people when I'm 40 assuming people have on average, a kid every 20 years, I know they don't, but let's just pretend for a second that every 20 years is a new generation. I, I think we can see that, that happening when they start naming generations, you go the generation now in generation, 20 years, the generation in 40 years, I'm going to screw over fricking three generations of people. If I don't do something right now, if it's not just my own children, my own family, my own children, and their children, at least, that is real. So when you say, I'm going to wait till I'm retired, you have to remember, that didn't exist until railroads came into play. And that was designed on purpose, so people would stay for 40 years in one company. And it was also incentivized by the government with tax breaks, when in reality, they will tax you at a higher rate on a higher sum than they would taxing you along the way, so that's how they pay for your retirement. You, this is, is yes. it's not I, a conspiracy. I never knew this, this is history. Yes, it's a
0: horrible. <laughs> I never knew this. I'm, this is freaking history, there, man. Sh- yeah, I'm shuddering at the. I'm shuddering at the thought. I've also. I've also said I'm never going to retire, so that's. I'm quite happy with that. But I never knew. I never knew that about retirement. It's a. That is. That's a very it's controlling way of managing people. Yeah. That's yeah. And so the,
1: the unintended consequence, and maybe it, was an inten- maybe it was intended, but they could never have foresaw this, but the unintended consequence is generations of people who now say, I'm going to wait till later. There's nothing wrong with saving your money. Save it. But there is something wrong with saving your dreams, especially when you consider that at 65, well, let's be honest, most people don't live very much longer than that. And they may not be as healthy as they used to be. Mm-hmm and maybe something happened to their spouse or maybe a number of things my my mom just turned 65 and i'm like yay mom now you can finally start living your life you know tongue in cheek like that's the silliest thing in the Mm -hmm. world so we've been fed a lot of lies that have made us think the way we do and act the way we act that we don't even realize They, they time management is like water they say that fish discover water last (laughs) <laughs> we don't even know the decisions that we are making that are based entirely on how we were taught. We must work. And these things just, not only did they not work, they may, some things may have worked in their time, but now they're becoming increasingly, increasingly more irrelevant. So now today in the 21st century where robots and AI are taking over, people are like, what am I going to do? Where's my job going to go? No, man, you actually get to be more human you've spent the last 50 years doing things that a robot should be doing anyways all these things that are wrote over and over and over you know just silly so the opportunity is is massive but as soon as people start thinking i need to value my time and not time my
0: values then their life will change yeah i think I, i said that i think that's the overall message that i love about your book is that live life now and on purpose because we're never going to get today back we don't know if we're going to get to you know to live tomorrow we just had the queen pass away today completely unexpected as far as i knew and as i said it's and obviously our nation has gone into mourning but it's another reminder how many reminders do we need to uh, you know, from tragedy to after tragedy, is to actually start living more on purpose today. Instead of, I think the biggest lie we tell ourselves is that we can save, uh, you know, living life until another day or at some point in the future with retirement. But we can't because we don't know if we'll be there. It's true. Or what if we're the health or the energy? Yeah. We don't know what the world circumstances will be either. No idea. It's
1: it's true. Yeah, and and you know, off the ear, we talked about that, and I'm I'm so sorry about. The queen and 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 things that happen Mm. and you're right it is quite the reminder it is quite the reminder and and the thing is that's most interesting about this idea of time tipping and anti-time management is that you're not just taking off work or not working it's literally a way to get more done while creating more time it's a way to live the way you want to live now and get way more done. I call it prismic productivity, where one small decision makes a thousand other decisions for you in a positive way, where one small thing you do can open up hundreds of different opportunities for you, just like you would shine a light through a prism and on the other side, all these different colors, different, you know, rays, so to speak, a stroke yeah, I love of opportunity. You know, it, it's... It's actually pretty cool. People will spend all their time on something that isn't important and won't get the outcome they want. Whereas other people will actually spend a little bit of time on something that's important and get all the things they want. They're asymmetrical changes, asymmetrical thinking. So it's really what's in alignment with what I want to do. You know, In the book, I call it ghost stepping. People that are doing all these things they think will lead them somewhere, but it never will. You feel productive, but you're not. Ghost steps, ghost steps lead to a phantom life, and it really doesn't have to be that way.
0: I think another phrase that you mentioned was, in the last time we met, was a busy cal. It's something along the lines of a busy calendar is an empty life, <laughs> and that's a, that's another phrase that stayed <laughs> with me. Just a, I looked at my calendar and thought, oh, yeah. oh okay, <laughs> it's a good point.
1: It's a, it's a jarring thought that a full calendar is an empty life because we were filling it up thinking we were doing all these things. But if you, if you really step back and look at it, a lot of people will go, Hmm. I did all these things and got nothing done. Or I did all these things and none of them reached my purpose. How many, how many steps do I have to take to do what I really, really want to do? And they never do. Where in reality, what's the opposite? An empty calendar. You go, well, how do you just have an empty calendar? I guess it could mean you have all this space and you're you're, you're just winging it. You could say that. That's not what I mean. An empty calendar means everything's handled. You focused on your strengths, the ones that you like, and the things you don't like to do, including your strengths. You delegated, outsourced, you figure out a way to have a robot do it. Man, so much time can be created when you think just a little bit
0: differently. Uh, again, it, from your piece of advice and, uh, you know, being on Strategic Coach and other things coming on, on my way, I've now got someone doing all those things for me. <laughs> so my calendar is there looking you go. a lot more healthy. <laughs> yes, I have made <believe> some big changes. <laughs> um, Richie, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, where can people find um, out more about you? I'll put all your details in the show notes anyway, but where can people find you and uh, download your book? No,
1: thank you. Uh, go to com slash time. And I have a free 90 day challenge that will kind of, you know, walk you hand in hand, step by step, day by day, week by week, to be able to make some of these things happen in your own life. Of course, anti-time management is available everywhere including Amazon and it would mean the world to me if you grabbed a copy you can also get the audio if you want to put on double speed and listen to me you know like that and I sound like a chipmunk that that's fine too you know whatever whatever you want
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that, that's how I listened to that was, that's how I listened to your book you did sound there you go uh, an amazing yeah so an amazing chipmunk but it was it was a good way to absorb it uh, Richie thank you so much awesome. um, again anti-time management is out now I'll put all the details in the show notes and I would say this needs to be at the top of the wake-up call charts not the time management charts, the wake up call charts. That's That's right. Because again, it is a wake up. call. (laughs) Thank you very much. And to you, the listeners, thank you for giving me your time and energy for this interview. And I hope Rich has helped you rethink a few things as he did with me. Will you now live more on purpose? And what will your calendar begin to look like as you experiment with creating your ideal life? Please share, please subscribe, please leave me a review and have a wonderful day.